Okay, quick admin thing first, guys. I did a really interesting novel show last week. I recorded Chewing the Fat with Fat Mitch. So patrons will know who Fat Mitch is, but if you don't, you are in for a treat if this ever (laughs) gets posted. Mitch knows everything there is to know about Ukraine, more stuff than than even I knew, and he really names names on who did what, when, where, how, in the Maidan, in Odessa, to affect this U.S. coup in 2014. And it was actually so, it made me nervous. Like, it was so hot, it made me nervous what he was saying. Uh, And I was, like, hesitant to post it. But what I want to do is I'll post it to core listeners, let's say. So I will post it to the Deep Dives with Monica Perez feed exclusively, and I'll do it commercial-free. But uh, I want to post it to the lovers. So let's get some love over there. What I would really like is to have 50 reviews on that feed. I'm actually almost there. So if you hear this, you want to hear my chewing the fat with Fat Mitch. As soon as I get 50 reviews over at Deep Dives with Monica Perez, I will put that show there commercial free. As soon as that review meter ticks over, I'll put that show right up. Do you think the Roe ruling is simply a case of good triumphing over evil? Or maybe a sign that a sea change is in the offing? Or could it be just another setup? I'm Monica Perez, and this is today's Deep Dive. Let's climb up onto the platform provided by today's USA Today. Here's the headline, Biden backs change to filibuster rules to codify abortion and privacy rights into law. So I had already decided to do a deep dive on the 10 reasons Roe may be a setup, and I did that before today's headline. I actually have more than 10 reasons. And I was going to do the deep dive earlier this week, but I got sick. So don't even ask. (laughs) Maybe I'll tell you about it at some point. Um, But because of that, I'm only doing one deep dive this week, but that's okay because this is probably going to be a marathon. I can't imagine I'm getting through 10 plus uh, reasons why Roe could be a setup in less than 30 minutes, but I can try. Okay, so I understand the big picture issue. I understand the presenting issue. Abortion is a very emotional topic, very moral topic. For me, Roe versus Wade was always clearly unconstitutional. So for me, it never should have been the ruling in the first place. It was totally political. And I would say culturally subversive. And I think overturning it is culturally subversive. So I will tell you all those reasons why. But the reason there's a lot of reasons why, it's kind of like the everything but laws I was talking about with Republicans uh, rallying around certain gun control measures without calling them gun control because they're not gun bans. But they will put everything into place from surveillance to removing due process from people through red flag laws. I did a deep dive on it. I'm going to actually go through the gun control legislation uh, at probably one of my next deep dives. But the point is that these big, big issues are never really just resolved on their face They are usually trotted out, recycled, resolved, used, exploited for a host of smaller 
items, not small items, or I should say less obvious, less less polarizing things where they can slide it in there in the name of compromise or in the name of reaction, and they put it all under this larger banner. And gun control and abortion have been the two biggest banners to keep the two-party PSYOP going for as long as I can remember. With every crappy candidate I have seen trotted out by the Republicans or even the Democrats, these candidates I'm talking about for president are ultimately elected by a fatigued voter base who just at the end is like, Supreme Court, you know, gun control, abortion. And it's like, you let them give you every bad law that we have on the books today because of this threat of Supreme Court justices being appointed by the wrong party. But of course, we know the Republicans generally end up being Democrats anyway once they get onto the court. Now, this is a different scenario, a radically different scenario. And I understand Barrett and Thomas, but the other guys, maybe Alito, but the other guys, Gorsuch, Kavanaugh, Roberts, these are not stalwarts in the Republican conservative umbrella, whatever, tent. That's not their thing. And Obamacare brought Roberts over to the Democrat side. And um, from what I understand, he may have been on the Epstein manifest. So on one of those planes. So he's probably just doing what he's told, you know, if you want to go down that rabbit hole. So there have to be reasons for it. And as a general rule, anything that's a really big operation like this usually is used for multiple purposes. It was right in the report from Iron Mountain, which is such such an illuminating piece of work, that they always multitask. And they even have on their, in their think tanks, people who are multidisciplinary scholars so that they can think through different aspects of issues and answers, problems and solutions, dialectics, operations to satisfy a bunch of different goals. So for me, I feel like it's not so much that you just let a don't let a good crisis go to waste. You don't manufacture a good crisis to accomplish only one thing. So I want to hit as many of these things as we can. Uh, I am Still sick. I literally think LA is toxic. <laughs> you know those old government documents that talk about experiments where they literally spray experimental bioweapons on US towns? Like if you haven't ever read any of that, check it out. Because uh, I think they may actually be doing that in LA right now, or maybe I'm just allergic to this place. But just for the record, I have a an overall, for all the big important stuff, I have a clean bill of health. My organs are all functioning properly. So if I spontaneously combust, as Fat Mitch says, <laughs> please suspect foul play at the highest levels. But I am totally fine, but we do need to hit this before my voice and possibly my brain <laughs> can give out because this is a big one. So let's hit it rapid fire. Possible reasons for this. Number one, I would say pack the court. I mean, this is not an order. This is literally like how it occurred to me. So pack the court. So make it more than nine justices. Make sure the new ones are young and super progressive Democrats. And then maybe even actually 
claw back some of those other guys. Like Roberts is not like firmly on the right. Gorsuch, I don't trust. Kavanaugh, I don't trust for this kind of stuff. So they could really have a super, super court. I don't think they need to pack the court because of that actually going forward. So uh, that's number one. Number two, I think this is a real possibility getting ahead of the population bust. So when I saw these laws coming down in the South, really limiting abortion, trying to push it to the Supreme Court, I definitely thought there was a setup at play. But never in a million years, it was kind of like Trump beating Hillary. Like, it never even occurred to me that the setup was to get rid of Roe. I didn't think that. I thought the setup was going to be to eliminate all possibility of states regulating abortion or anything else, maybe. But then I started thinking, okay, if they're going to take out Roe, then they must feel like they have the population control thing down. And two prior things made me think that. One is that they eliminated the two-party, the two-child policy in China, or sorry, the one-child policy in China. It might be a two-party, two-child policy now, but in any case, the one-child policy is gone. And Elon Musk, who doesn't say anything for no reason, in my opinion, said that he said he was worried about a population bust. Now, I had a tweet, a good tweet keeps me informed, say that it was in the context of saying that a richer society lowers the birth rate. And Bill Gates has said that that was the reason that he said that vaccines would lower populations. I'm not sure how plausible it was in that case, but I'm just saying that I don't think Elon Musk ever puts anything into the public consciousness that isn't going to be used later. It's like Chekhov's gun when it comes out his mouth. <laughs> so uh, I think there may actually be a population bust in the offing. And this is why I think that at the same time that I think that a lot of things are being put in place right now to effect a population bust. The population, I think, is like the Titanic. It needs lots of lead time to change direction. So Yes, I think there's a population bust afoot, and I don't think we've seen the stats on it yet. The old and weak are all, you know, uh, really disproportionately dying of COVID and, of course, experimental prophylactic gene therapy. So I think everyone knows that that is. You can see it with just celebrity deaths. You can see it in your own families. You can see it in people who we, we know and love. So uh, that's one thing. You'll also probably have immunocompromised populations coming out of this because that toxic spike protein, no matter how you get it into your system, is probably not good for you in the long run. Also, there's obviously, or I should say widely reported, reports of the current health atmosphere from COVID to experimental prophylactic gene therapy having an impact on reproductive systems. And it's definitely true. I mean, I just, I, I've witnessed it myself. I'm absolutely certain there's something to that. And what I don't know for sure is if it reduces fertility. So I think there's a really good chance it will certainly have an impact on fertility. And of course, there will be no need for abortion if no one is getting pregnant, especially, um, I guess, unmarried women or liberal women. You know what I mean? Like the vax thing and the abortion thing are going hand in hand. People who are vaccinated are probably much more likely to be on the pro-abortion side, which is weird in itself. I'm going to get to that. Uh, and mass starvation may be coming. Like this food shortage thing, they're not they're not letting up on that. And this the Ukraine war is 
contributing not only to interruption in food supplies, but much worse, higher up the chain, it's interrupting fertilizer supplies, especially to Africa. I mean, we may have real problems like that. And uh, actually, I had a listener who asked me, Kitty, if I thought we could be headed into a children of men scenario. Now, I'm not going to spoil a movie. You can never accuse me of that. But if you haven't seen it, you might would see it because I've actually considered that as a possibility. So, yeah, the thing about vax mandates and anti-abortion laws both leading to more population on the right or less population on the left uh, uh, and in left-leaning states or less population growth in those places. Like, it's weird that the powers that be might be favoring the MAGA-Q demographic rather than the SJW, social justice warrior demographic. And I'm trying to figure out why. Like, I haven't cracked the code on this one yet, but I have some ideas I mean, it's possible they want free thinkers or that this is the kind of functioning they're going to need in the brave new world. I don't know. Maybe this is the personality they want. Hard to believe that. They could be selecting for a certain profile. Maybe they don't like these true believers, bourgeois, middle-class liberals. Maybe they don't need them in the new world, and and they're rather expensive. They're like upper management uh, uh, or upper middle management. You don't You don't really need them after you've got things humming. Maybe they don't even care about us or what we like, or maybe those distinctions aren't even really, even though I think they go to like the core of a person's brain, like I think it's probably genetic, which way you go if you're more manipulated by physical insecurity or fiscal insecurity is how I used to define the right and the left. Uh, So I think it's real. I think it's profound. I think it may even be genetic. But the powers that be may not even care if they're breeding for one human profile or another because they're not they're not planning on being humans. <laughs> I know it's a really radical thought, but that transhumanism thing, I mean, there's just too much stuff written about it from long ago, from the whole eugenics era, all the way through today. I'm going to hat tip uh, at where did Dean go, um, maybe even throughout this episode because he's so on top of that issue. And it sent us uh, so many resources and tweets about that. But my thinking is that us versus them may kind of evolve into meatbag versus cyborg or meet us versus sci them. <laughs> you know, I mean, I really think it could be it could be headed in that direction. And I'm not even saying that they are going to achieve that. But if that's really what they're thinking about, maybe they're just like, yeah, it doesn't matter. This is just a marginal difference. But I do think that's kind of interesting. And then that leads to my number three thing, which is uh, maybe more useful for them to take that that kind of eugenic curation impact that these policies are having as far as ideologically favoring the right. Maybe it won't. I mean, maybe they're coming up with a bioweapon that really will wipe out all the unvaccinated people. I have absolutely no idea. But they are definitely using these issues for polarizing at the left and right, uh, there it's breaking people apart, causing unrest. Maybe it's going to lead to civil war. Maybe it's going to lead to secession. 
It is definitely a divide and conquer strategy, as far as I can tell. And the basket that they're putting people in is beyond ideological and is including identity issues. We brought identity politics to the right. It's including the abortion stuff, the trans stuff, um, critical race theory, the vax stuff. Um, it's going to age. It's dividing people by age. It's dividing people by geography, by region, by culture. And the left is, I think, pushing the right into this basket by taking the most extreme possible view. This is another thing where did Dean go sent us, uh, tweeted at me publicly the an article about the Pritzker family and their incredible funding for transgender stuff. And in that article, it was talking about targeting children as young as three for gender affirmation treatment, which is about being trans. And the problem is that if you don't embrace the most extreme, there are plenty of people who will hear what you're saying and call you a hater. It's really, it used to be impossible for me to talk about these issues at all because I was so sensitive to anything that sounded hate-y, but they got so extreme that even I am willing to address these issues. I mean, I just, I hate, (laughs) I hate conflict. (laughs) Wrong business, I think. Having callers was was a tough one for that, but... So I'm just saying, like, if they're if they're getting me to just feel like, okay, enough is enough, they're definitely pushing lots of other people who would really rather not get into the fray about this into those baskets. And and it's not like we're gonna maintain these ideological differences, which by the way, weren't good enough for me anyway, because you had the welfare state on one side versus the warfare state on the other. And I'm a libertarian, I don't want either. But what's happening and what has been happening for as long as I can remember is that both sides were converging on the welfare warfare superstate model. And that continues to grow unchecked by either side to the point where the right is actually adopting more populist stuff and the left is now the war party. I mean, that's just what's happening right now. So it's really divisive what's going on here. I, I read that half the states are planning on banning abortion, or and then half of those already have stuff that's going to automatically be triggered. And I wonder, I, w- I wouldn't even care, but of course they take it then to the extreme. So now I'm seeing articles about hunting people down, trying to get laws where adjoining states can't give harbor or abortions to your the citizens of your state. So are we restoring states' rights or restoring fugitive slave laws? And I'm not even opining on the justice of it or the rightness of it. What I'm saying is that that kind of thing is going to trigger congressional action probably or maybe more Supreme Court action. And I absolutely do not think that stuff will will stand up to constitutional scrutiny at all like that. I think interstate commerce and has been so broadly read that unless they're really trying to cause a civil war and uh, a, a this kind of parallel with the civil war may actually do it, you know, they, they could deal with that and they may be provoked to deal with that. So, you know, you might not want to provoke that. Uh, and so I think about secession, I think about civil war, but after the civil war, 
the the South was forced back into the Union and rebellion comes with heavy consequences, both that was uh, put on the South after the fact and enshrined into law in the Constitution that would apply going forward. So unless you're actually going to win that fight, I mean, I think we have to think of all the possibilities here of why they're provoking unrest. And then the fourth thing is flows from that. They want this to be religious in nature. They want this to transcend thought and and rest in a place that's emotional or um you know moral, which is you know moral and legal and ethical are different concepts, so they want that and uh, and what it's doing is is driving people to religion for political reasons. Have you noticed that? I have noticed that. And uh, for me, I returned to the church back in the day to to give my kids some grounding. I did not have some calling to faith. I just, it was basically my version of cultural despair. I did it for a touchstone. I did it for, not even for community, but for structure. And now people, I think, are doing it to fight back for political reasons and, and cultural reasons, which are now also combining. And it's it's funny, like people are being pushed to the edge. And I think the expression, it like shouldn't be, I'm losing my religion. It should be, I'm finding my religion. People are being pushed to the edge and they're finding religion. But this plays into the hands of the people who would control you and your culture uh, divide and conquer, all of that. And I'm reminded of what I believe was happening in Angola or the Congo or both in the 60s at the hands of the CIA. From what I read, they were instilling into those cultures this kind of history. And I think they've done it in the Middle East with, and even maybe in Judaism, with some like laws that seem really traditional that actually were resuscitated, revived, or even instituted during the 20th century. And and in the case of Africa, they were imparting these tribal, tribal, I don't know if they were myths or they were exaggerated or what, into these societies in order to foment unrest. And I actually believe, I don't know if I read this, I must have read something that made me think this, or maybe it was just listening to JFK's last speech, really scrutinizing his last speech. I read a, I watched a movie called Executive Action, and I believe that James Jesus Angleton on his deathbed said that was the closest thing to the truth about the JFK assassination. And he was, I think, head of counter espionage in the CIA at the time and uh, had something to do with that. Uh, so the, so JFK did this speech at American University for his last speech. And if it's the one that got him killed for sure, uh, he was talking about a, a peace, not a Pax Americana, but a peace for all people for all times. And I think, I feel like that was a reaction to what he knew the CIA was doing in Africa. And that nationalism, tribalism that they, you know, or, or I should say, the tribalism they were building up there, uh, or generally nationalism, that kind of thing, 
which I do not think has been emerging organically. I think they've been really, really forcing this on us, uh, fostering it in a lot, a lot of different ways. And this is one of them. Uh, builds on cultural despair, which they also give us on purpose. They're they're making us have these crises. Our our system was fine. Like our system, the process did work. People accepted. There was no not my president before the hanging chat. And now it's always not my president because it became so powerful. I actually have two books of about this uh, on Germany. One was called The Politics of Cultural Despair by Fritz Stern. Stern, S-T-R-N. And um, the other one was Nationalism and Culture by Rocker, R-O-C-K-E-R, which was translated into English before it was ever published in German because it was written in Germany in the 30s. And by the time he got it out, it was no longer permitted in Germany. So there is a really um, powerful element to making it cultural, tribal, religious, nationalistic, identity-based, um, all of the things that I think I've been observing have been, um, you know, coming for the right for a long time. As, as much as we resisted, we were headed, I shouldn't say we, I'm not on the right, but as much as libertarians resisted. So the Ron Paul revolution, I think, was the last straw that so many people got on board with that. So many young people were reconnecting with the American uh, legacy of heritage, experiment of, la- of laissez-faire, of individual liberty, of classical liberalism, that they had to they had to stem that tide, and they did it by pushing that down and letting it letting Trump uh, hijack that energy. I feel so. The Supreme Court, I think, is continuing to make other judgments like this, which is. They ruled that a football coach at a public school could kneel and pray on the field and invite players to join him, but not require it. I mean, I don't understand why. I I don't know if that's appropriate for public school. I I mean, that's, I'm not a fan of that. Uh, I'm not a fan of that because if you make that actually protected so that a, a school district can't make its own rules on the subject, then you're opening the door to like Satanism um, I, I love the Rastas, but I'm not sure every high school in, uh, middle America wants Rastas to kneel, you know, like to celebrate <laughs> their religion at, uh, in the end zone. I mean, I'm just joking about that, but I'm not kidding about the Satanism. And it was really not necessary to call it. I think I could be wrong. I should have reread it before I went to air, but I believe they called it protected speech? I'm not sure if it was protected or permitted. So, okay, what the Supreme Court actually said was the school district cannot fire the coach for personal religious observance after games. So, but it was on the field and everything. So if they can't fire the coach, that means they have to allow it, right? And for me, I feel like the Fed, why, do, why does the federal government have to tell you that you can or can't, that you must or must not, that a city hall cannot put the Ten Commandments on the front lawn, but a school district cannot have a rule against religious observance? These are local and state laws. And the First Amendment regarding religion 
clearly and expressly refers to Congress only. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. Congress didn't make a law. They shouldn't be hearing this case. However, the 14th Amendment really confuses this stuff. I mean, really confuses it. And I am no expert in that. So I'm, I will put out the call. I want to talk to Eric Buchanan of, of By and For the People on a few of these issues. I'll have to have him on a Dive Master show to talk about, really dig into the constitutional issues at play here. So uh, let's see if I can't track him down. His, his Twitter feed is, is dormant. Okay, so that's the religious issue. Now, uh, number five is, and this again, hat tip to Dean, he's all over this. It's a distraction from the leveling down in our standards of living that we are going to hear, that we're going to experience through all the COVID stuff, the lockdown, the ESG stuff, the food shortages, the energy a crisis that's brewing, the inflation, all of the stuff, supply chain issues, all the stuff that's lowering our standard of living right now and will continue to do so in the name of climate change, they can add to the perfect storm of all the things I just added that just talked about war, pandemic, climate. They can add civil unrest and they can have power outages. They can have sabotage at relay stations, which happened in California a few years back. And I remember wondering where it was going. Maybe this is where it's going. Uh, food shortages, you know, trucker strikes, all this stuff could stem from unrest. And you could blame the right for it if that's how this goes. That was a good one from Dean. Uh, there's a bunch that number six is they, there's a bunch of other cases that can flow from this that will also cause problems. Um, some people say vax mandates could be easier to implement. I feel like they they are kind of easy to implement as it is. I'm not sure Roe was stopping them, but I could be wrong. I mean, I, I have been sent some materials to look into on that regard. Uh, Oberfell, Griswold, other cases about sexual behavior, gay marriage, if there's no right to privacy, then that stuff just uh, is not protected by the Supreme Court. And it was so funny because <laughs> Nancy Pelosi said, they are taking away a 50-year-old constitutional right. And I'm laughing because the Constitution is like closer to 250 years old. So unless there was an amendment, <laughs> it cannot be a 50-year-old constitutional right. Anyway, and, uh, and it's such a weird right anyway, because federal laws against growing and smoking pot in your own home weren't prevented by this so-called privacy right. So I don't, I'm not buying that. Okay, so number seven, I thought this was interesting. I thought of this. Some states are never going to lose this, right? So like my mother lives in New York. I asked her if she was psyched and she was like, well, it's still happening here and um, I think her tax dollars are still paying for it. So like that just really upsets her. I doubt she pay tax, pays taxes anymore. She literally lives on social security, but I feel like it's just upsets her anyway, because people are paying taxes in New York who are horrified by this. Uh, but so now the right to lifers will go to their state houses. And I'll tell you, when I was trying to rally the troops to pull an Obamacare on D, uh, Obamacare rally on D.C. for the, I guess, in retrospect, the best approach would have been against the emergency order that Trump was 
you know, perpetuating, I was told to stick to the state houses and a fat lot of good that did us. So it would have been a way to unite people to go down there. And I think if Hillary had been in office, we would have all gone down there. But right to lifers going to Washington every year was probably a really powerful network. So powerful, as a matter of fact, that I began to think on January 6th, when I saw all the right to lifers there, that Q, the Q, I, I think, I believe it's a PSYOP, but the Q PSYOP, the Q um, operation, it was such a powerful movement and network that I feel like Q attempted to, to tap into that with the pedophile stuff, protect the children. I really think that's, that, that is why Q went for the pedo because they saw how powerful this protect the children thing was in the right to life movement. And it was kind of like the Soviets and religion. They realized, I think they taught the power elite that you're not getting rid of religion. You're not getting rid of it. So now they decided to embrace it and make part of the future dialectic, whether it's the religious right that they're fostering now here in this country, Christian right, or um, the clash of civilizations with uh, Islam in the Middle East that they've been fostering for so long. Uh, I think that they recognize the power and they're looking to redirect it. So I think keeping getting the March for Life out of Washington would be a mistake. I hope they keep doing it in celebration and gratitude for the Roe ruling, if that's how they feel about it. Okay, number eight. This is probably the most obvious one. Get out the votes for Democrats at midterms. But this would be a high price to pay for that, but certainly would be a, a reasonable thing to put in uh, on this side of the scales for the weighing. All right, now here's something that was the thing I opened with, what Biden said today. They want to change process. I, I remember Obama trying this, Trump trying this. I don't know who did it before, but I wouldn't be surprised if it went back further. Everybody wants to get rid of the filibuster. Everybody wants a straight up and down vote. Why? Because it's a very powerful protection for minorities. It's a very powerful protection uh, for against destabilizing laws. If you have 51, 49 votes changing laws all the time, I mean, Thomas Jefferson wanted every law to remain unchanged for one year before they even took a vote on it. You couldn't vote on a law that wasn't written and vetted without alteration a year or more ago. I think that's a good rule for tattoos also. Have it mocked up on a piece of paper and leave it pinned to your wall for a year. And if you still love it... <laughs> Anyway, um, but so what Biden said, uh, yeah, see, because time passing for legislation to get enacted and super majorities required for legislation to get enacted are, are actually very powerful for not destabilizing the system. It keeps the, stable, the system stable. Predictability in a legal framework is the most important thing for business to thrive. Seriously, like contract law, look at markets. Look at how markets react to elections being settled. It's it's like you wonder, what, do they like this guy's policies? It's almost always like mar markets just settle down when they have the answer. It's really weird. But that's what they do because predictability means you can function, you can count on it. And what Biden called out, he claims the exact opposite, but it's not true. He said the, that this Roe ruling was outrageous and destabilizing. It, it, it is destabilizing. He said Congress must overturn it by writing Roe versus Wade into law. 
and this is where I would say he's calling for destabilizing behavior. He said, if the filibuster gets in the way, it's like voting rights. We should provide an exception for this. But there won't be an exception for this. They or or they will continue to make there are exceptions to it, and they will continue to pass exceptions until there's nothing left. So let me just read another passage from that opening article I cited. Because of the filibuster, 60 votes are needed in the Senate to pass most legislation. Changing the filibuster rules could allow senators to write the 1973 Roe v. Wade decision that established a constitutional right to abortion into law with a simple majority. But getting rid of the filibuster is up to the Senate, and right now there aren't enough votes to make that happen. A bill that would enshrine Roe versus Wade into law failed by a 49-51 vote last May. So they'd have to get more. 51-49, I imagine, would be the other way. So they were a little short even of a simple majority, but why put pressure to bear if they're never getting it? done anyway. I don't know. But uh, getting rid of the filibuster, I think, is just another step towards um, mob rule. I don't like it. Okay. So what is, what is my 10th? <laughs> what is my 10th reason? Well, my 10th reason is responses from tweeps. So let's do it. Okay. My question was, what do you think is the one way the row ruling could be a setup? And here's what I got from tweeps. I'm going to do this rapid fire. Grant says two ways. One, this forces the left to enact a real insurrection. I guess he thinks they've been looking for that all along. And two, this drives the country to secession. This is more probable in my opinion. By breaking the United States into smaller portions, the borders get weak, exposing left and right coasts. It's a perfect staging ground. I don't know for what. An invasion, I guess. All right. Waking Sheepy says it seems like a very inexpensive way to galvanize the left. I think their main goal is to keep half the people in each box. And if a few start to leave one box, they give something like this to get them back. So uh, maybe he's saying that uniting people on the vax is crossing borders, getting people out of their silos and baskets, and that must be stopped. I think uh, he's not the only one who said that, so it's quite possible. Jake, he says, reinvigorating the left when they need it badly. Let the right have a win and engage back in the political sphere. We can't have anything nice. <laughs> well, they did always say on the radio that an Obama win was great for right-wing media. I remember people saying that behind the scenes. Uh, so... What about the roads? I absolutely love that Twitter handle. Certainly seems like it's energized the Church of Woke, but won't they just enshrine this religious sacrament of theirs at the state level now? Okay, Goodfellas says, The further division of the country, next will be guns to complete their desired breakup of the U.S. Corey says, Possible distraction from gun control laws. Definitely, definitely. That was last week, and I was going to do a deep dive on that, but here I can't because I could only do this one. Possible setup for mail-in ballots for the state elections as riots begin to break out. Wow. Good ones. Uh, Newton Alpha says, I think it is there to, quote, force a constitutional convention. That's interesting. I fear the constitutional convention. We're not doing better than we have now. This also clears the hurdle for individual states to institute their own vax mandates as they see fit. Uh, yeah, but I, but I feel like that they're doing that anyway. I'm not sure on that one. Rich Lather said the same thing. He sent me an Adam Curry document on that, and uh, maybe I didn't understand it, but it just felt to me like they were lamenting that the police powers, which are given to the states in the Tenth Amendment, and this restores that, it, it 
it validates the assertion, which is true, that the states are responsible for health and general welfare. You might not like it, but that is what the Tenth Amendment says. I mean, you, we don't have to rise and fall together as a nation. You have to fight this battle on your, at your state level. Now, Lanny from Greener Postures, she really, another one, she's so smart, furthering the idea that procreating is bad. Flaunting you've had an abortion gives you feminist cred and makes you a strong woman. Virtue signaling that you're a good person by having an abortion, getting a vasectomy, or having your tubes tied. Moving ahead with the depopulation agenda. I mean, wow, that's like what I call the trialectic, <laughs> you know, like circling back around. Getting rid of Roe makes people have more abortions. It might be. I mean, it really might be. Didn't the, didn't the war on drugs increase drug use? So, and this would be right on the heels of vaccination as a virtue signal. It might be my choice, but I'm going to let you do what you want with my body because I'm a good citizen. Good one, Lanny. And uh, Big Chabip says, it's not a setup. Time for this order of things is running out. So that's the white pill for you. Uh, but I've got to give you a couple more. I wish I could end on the white pill. I should have. Uh, Miss K says, hello, Monica. I really miss you and Binkley together in your drive time podcast, but I'm listening to your deep dives on Rockfin. Yes, I'm sorry, Miss K. I know a lot of people feel that way, and it took me a while to get over it myself, but I just could not keep up that pace, and uh, I can manage the pace I'm keeping up now. Not much more, though. So thank you for your continued support and encouragement. And Rockfin is a great place to find us both, rockfin.com slash propaganda report. Uh, she goes on to say, I found this article today, and what it says is deeply disturbing. What do you think? And the headline is, anti-abortion lawmakers want to block patients from crossing state lines. She goes on to say, just FYI, I'm pro-life, not politically. I just think the unborn humans I carried at two kids were are not my body. Unborn humans are their own body, but they are inside another human, and that complicates things quite a bit. But not letting people cross state lines for abortion is a horrible precedent. My gosh, that is what I feared the whole time during COVID, and here we are. Now, I would say, let's just try to digest this first, and that's like not the next thing you need to do. I don't think that it would stand up to constitutional muster, and I do think it would provoke congressional laws that would be more than you want. Like my mother says, just try to get it so that your dollars do not pay for it. Just take one step at a time. And I got a fantastic letter from a listener in Iceland, and I must read it because it corrects me. And I absolutely really appreciate when I am corrected. So, and in such a respectful way, I really, really loved this letter. So it's from Mr. S. He says, greetings from the Banana Republic of Iceland. <laughs> oh my gosh. I think he might be making fun of me in that one and, and maybe sarcastic or may not. I don't know how bad it is there, but he says, I'll just start by saying that I listen to all of your interviews, deep dives and prop report material and have no criticism of them what you're, whatsoever. I love your wit and you're hotter than lava. <laughs> I love that. He's putting a small clip from last year in the attachments from our eruption if you want to check it, it is actually quite awesome. So I am going to put a clip of 
their eruption in the newsletter if he lets me do that. So the newsletter should be coming out next week, and uh, hopefully you'll, it'll be the first um, clip from a, a listener. So he says, as you may have guessed uh, from the title, I am writing to tell you about the abortion issue. I'm not sure I did guess from the title, but anyway, the only rule on abortion we have here is that women are allowed to abort at five months, which is the time where they are first able to tell if the fetus has downs. Now we have testing that's more, uh, that's earlier than that, but it was not available for me when I had my son with Down syndrome. So maybe they're behind on that. Sometimes places, socialist countries are behind on testing for stuff like that. Uh, not to say that that isn't wrong, he goes on, but that's the extent of it. We have a lot of Downs people and children here fully taken care of with taxpayers' money if needed. Uh, when you were on Buck's Counterflow podcast, it was like the fourth time I heard you speak like we just euthanized them all. <laughs> so I felt like I had to say something. I, I What I said was, what I always say is Iceland has zero Downs birth because they have 100% abortion rate. That's what I read for sure many times. Anyway, he goes on to say, but I'm going to correct the record in a second. Funny enough, in this nation of 350,000, we have a village where mentally handicapped adults can settle down, and I used to live in it when my mother worked there as a chef. It's a totally gorgeous place with farm animals, workshops, a pool, and programs, theatrics, and whatnot. Anyway, love your stuff. So, I mean, that was really nice of him. I love the perspective from abroad and what a handle on English this guy has. So congrats to you. I mean, really impressed. And uh, yes, yeah, so mu mutual, mutual affection here. Uh, so I looked into what he was saying and I attached in the show notes uh, an article in like Iceland Magazine, I think it was, correcting the record. All of it stemmed from a single hit piece by CBS News saying that Iceland has basically eradicated abortion. And it looks to me, I think from that article, that maybe 85% of Downs, uh, children with Down syndrome are aborted, which is not out of line with, I think, most other Western countries. I think certainly we're testing. I mean, from what I understand, even in this country, People who are getting tested, or before there was almost everybody getting tested just by a sonogram, but people who were getting amnios and stuff, there was like a 95% abortion rate of them. But those are probably a self-selected group. So I don't know what it is now, but like, that's not zero. And it's probably close to what we have. All right, so that's all I got. I know it was really a double header, but I wanted to do that because I was uh, down a show this week, down a deep dive this week. And I'm not sure that I had the same level of energy that I normally have. Hopefully you will forgive it this time because I was sick as a dog. <laughs> I can tell you, but I feel fine now. I mean, well, my brain is still mush, but I am, uh, definitely fine <laughs> for the record. But my takeaway with all of this, I've obviously spent a lot of time thinking about this, is that, uh, and talking to my mom, is that we must defend our basic principles and not get caught up in any of the waves that are washing over us from left or right this time. Roe was a terrible decision. It was totally unconstitutional. But what's happening here is definitely... Uh, a setup. It is um, a provocation for people to set at against each other. So 
don't play into their hands by going so far in the other direction that you trigger a reaction that you do not want. So stick to your principles, whether you are winning or losing. The foundational law of this country embodied in the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence, which, you know, maybe isn't a law, but it's definitely a founding principle that you can look to for understanding what what is our touchstone. And those foundational documents are, I mean, at worst, a livable compromise. And most likely the absolute very best compromise we could come up with in this time and place where the state is not going anywhere. You're not getting the Articles of Confederation back. But if you give this up, if you don't really strictly always look at the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence, the real fundamental foundational laws, not only will you not have the high ground, you will lose the moral high ground, but you will lose any clear, clearly defined common ground that we can offer all Americans as a rallying point in this battle, not between left and right, but between us and them. So that's all I got. If you love this show, if you want to listen to a commercial free for a while, and if you want me to drop that Fat Mitch, Chewing the Fat with Fat Mitch episode, please leave me a review on Deep Dives with Monica Perez. And if you want to support all this free content, please just buy a t-shirt. Buy a Propaganda Report t-shirt at thepropreport.com. Go to the shop button. I've got a lot of t-shirts and they're really nice. So please buy one. Uh, I am Monica Perez. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please share it on social media or with someone you think would also enjoy it. And feel free to tweet at me at Monica Perez Show. to this episode and all previous deep dives, buddy dives, and dive master interviews without commercial interruption, please subscribe and listen at Deep Dives with Monica Perez on your favorite podcasting platform.